coming up on The Medicine Podcast. If you're the masculine representative in a relationship, you are more responsible for holding the order in the chaos and creating the structure in your relationship. But here you are handing it off to the feminine representative and they, they actually don't want it. They're just holding it because if they don't hold it, the relationship will fall apart. Dudes, step into the driver's seat in your relationship. That doesn't mean that you have to do everything, but like schedule the date nights. Don't put it on her. Schedule the personal growth. Don't put it on her. Read some fucking books about relationships. In terms of providing the structures and creating space for conversations to happen, if you're the masculine representative, that's your job. Welcome back to The Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi and I have my partner in life and love and podcasting with me here along with our very special guest. What is going on, everybody? <laughs> you know, this is our second take at the intro. We had a little technical <laughs> difficulty. And so I'm like, man, I can't use the same joke that I made the first time around, but I'm going to anyway. I'm wearing a pink tank top today because we're talking about masculinity. And, uh, you know, there's different differing opinions on what masculinity looks like and what it means. I tend to think that it's allowed to wear pink attire <laughs> and still be masculine. Yeah, we kind of uh, switched the roles here. Yeah. Pink. yeah, but maybe we can get into that today because we have an incredible guest, somebody who is deep into men's work, who is uh, very, very tapped into all things masculinity. Ben Goreski, welcome to the Medicine Podcast, my man. Take two. Yeah. <laughs> Chase, Mimi, happy to be here. I'm stoked to have this conversation. Let's do it. Let's do it. Take two. All right. So Ben, first question that we ask every guest on the medicine is what do you love in your life? What aspect of your life do you love so much you wish you could gift it to every human? There's a lot of things on that list. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind is a connection to nature. Um, I live on an island off the coast of Vancouver, BC, and it's rural. And <clears throat> this is a new thing in my life. I, I've been a city boy for my whole life. Um, I live downtown in Vancouver in an area called Gastown, which is like very concrete. Everybody's living in condos. And the only connection you have to nature is like the sky and like rain when it's hitting you. Yeah. Um, whereas like here, I'm walking through the trees a lot. I'm I'm connected to the sun. Like I I I really feel this need and this desire for the sun to come back at this time of year. So I'm very connected to those rhythms and the moonlight and and a lot of wood. Like I'm dealing with wood every day. I got a wood stove. And that connection to the elements is is therapeutic in a way that I I can't quite describe, but um I feel like I'm connecting to my ancestral nature when I'm when I'm out there. And I know that there's a lot of people that spend their lives without that connection. It's like house to car to mm -hmm. office, back to car, back to house. Um, and maybe like a little walk around the suburbs <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. is the best you get. And um, yeah, I, I just wish everybody had the level of access that I have. Um, you know, another telling thing about this is my wife one day, uh, wrote ways that, that women can find ways to connect to their nature. 
their inner nature. And she suggested that they go out to nature and go sit by a stream or go sit in a field. And there was a number of people that commented on that post saying like, I don't have access to that. Like, where Mm. is that? Where is a field or a stream? Like, I don't know. And that made us both really sad. So I wish everybody had that, that kind of access. That's such a great point. And and it's funny, like, I'm not a men's coach by any means, but you know, we will occasionally get listeners to, to ask like, Hey, how do I strengthen my masculinity? And, and, uh, one of the things that I encourage people to do is like spend some time in nature, you know, mother nature is feminine and a way to, to get a pulse on your own masculinity is to sit amongst the feminine. And is there something more feminine than nature itself? And, and take inventory of how you show up in the feminine in amongst the feminine. And it might give you a way to triangulate where you are in your own masculinity. And another point that comes up for me, as you say, this is like the cyclical nature of nature, the seasons of nature, we get so, and especially men can get very compartmentalized and compulsive and do the same thing repetitively in this sort of like kind of the archetype of the, the addict where it's ritualized and, and disconnected from the actual feeling of it mm-hmm. being in nature and having your pulse on the seasons of nature is so it's this like invisible hand of encouragement to consistently evaluate is this a season for growth is this a season for rest is this a season for death and mourning and rebirth and i think just just having a relationship to nature itself is just wildly important in that sort of uh, relationship that you have to yourself as well as the external world mm-hmm it's the ultimate cure for depression, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. just getting away from all the sedentary, interior, chemical laden lifestyle and, and never mind screens. Yeah, <laughs> right. 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 And back back to like where you came from, where our ancestors yeah. came from. Yeah. It's a prescription yeah. now in some places. Mm-hmm. Forest bathing, they call mm-hmm. it when it's literally right. just like yeah. That's just, just means go outside, just be in nature for like longer than five minutes. And, and, and I think beyond that is like not seeing yourself separate from nature and like, okay, I'll open the door. I'll go out in nature, this thing that is separate from me, but rather, no, I am nature. I am a part of this. And there's a reason why when we go lay on the beach for two hours, we feel completely nourished. We're not doing anything, but we're like rejuvenated and energized literally from the earth that is also a part of us. And uh, I think that that's so telling. It's like, uh, unfortunately, I think actually in Webster's definition of nature, the way that they phrase it is separate from mankind, separate from us, which is Mm -hmm. like very depressing, (laughs) but also very telling. It's so wrong. Yeah. There, I think there's many definitions that I would disagree with and and that's definitely one of them. Yeah. 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 Well, man, we're stoked to get into all things men's work and masculinity. Um, First, want to give a little bit of a preview into uh, you, uh, your life. You know, I was actually doing some diligence uh, around John Wyland when we had him on the show here, uh, I think in the summer and stumbled upon some of your work and your podcast and just like went all in and and had a ton of fun uh, catching up on, on what you've been up to. But for our listeners, maybe if you could briefly explain you know, what exactly you do in the, in the realm of, of men's work and masculinity today, and a little bit about how you got into that work. Yeah. My brand is evolving man. And that's something that resonated with me, uh, a few years ago when I joined my first men's group and was thinking about getting back into coaching and, and counseling. I see myself as a connector. 
Um, I try to connect to various medicines, right? Forms of personal growth, change, evolution, and then integrate them into myself uh, and then share them with other people. So I don't really see myself as a teacher. And in some ways, I don't see myself as a counselor. Coach really does feel the best for me because I want to inspire people. I want to lift them up. I want to help them find their medicine. Uh, and sometimes that takes some fire under the ass, you know, which mm-hmm. is what a coach is more than, than a counselor. Um, but the short version of my story is I grew up in a difficult uh, home to live in. Uh, a lot of things were provided for us, but uh, emotionally, uh, th- there were some things lacking and there was some safety lacking. I ended up in rehab as a teenager. I went through mm-hmm. rehab and I, that was my first taste of personal growth work, inner work, and my first sort of spiritual transformation. And then I spent my 20s in recovery and learning to be a counselor, going to school, going to 12-step programs, sitting in circles with people, um, whether it was in 12-step meetings or whether it was in school. And around 30 years old, I had you know, I think I'd come a long way, but I still had more that I was seeking. And I had sort of stepped out of the 12 step world and was wanting to go deeper in other forms of, um, healing, including psychedelics, which aren't really allowed in the 12 step world. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to learn about was like masculinity. What is masculinity? What's my masculinity? What's my expression of that? And how do I strengthen that and use that to my advantage in life? Because I was 30 years old, but could not give you an answer as to what that is. Um, But I had recently met some teachers who seemed like they knew. And so that was on my goals sheet on my wall for the year. And I had recently met the woman who is now my wife. And the first book she bought me was The Way of the Superior Man. Mm. And I read that book and was like, whoa, this is wild (laughs) stuff, but it resonates. And she was like, I read that book too. And a lot of that resonated with me as a woman. And Mm. I was like, that's impressive that you could read this book and not be super triggered by it. Uh, And I joined a men's group and I learned what traditional men's work is and did it. And, you know, was surrounded by guys who were doing this work and, um, it really helped me heal some, some of the stuff that I still hadn't healed uh, mm-hmm. related to my brother, uh, who was kind of like my bully and my, you know, he's three years older than me and he was a tough guy. He was pretty tough to be around, um, really emotionally dysregulated. Um, and so I had a lot of shit around with my brother and stuff with my dad and stuff with the power structures of the world, men in general. Um doing that work with those guys helped me deal with that stuff so that I wasn't carrying it around with me everywhere I went. And I've become so stoked on it and just really wanting to share that message with as many guys as possible because I realized like the addiction stuff that I was dealing with, yeah, a lot of people deal with addiction and I want to help people with that, but it's, it is a subset of the population. But what I discovered with men's work is like, wow, this is something that every man needs. <laughs> like This mm-hmm. is something we've all got to tap into because uh, I saw it, it made me better, but I saw it make every man in the circle better. And these were all mm-hmm. like regular guys, you know? So um, that group was called the Samurai Brotherhood. 
at the time. We've changed the name. It's called ARCA now, A-R-K-A. It's a reference to the the four mature masculine archetypes, mm. um, along with other things like uh, solar energy, fire, uh, lightning, <laughs> these sort of powerful things. Um, and we've, we, we've grown from like two, three squads, little groups to 50. And wow. uh, I'm a director of that organization now, um, which is an honor. And uh, I'm just on a mission, just like John Wineland, to start 10,000 men's groups. <laughs> Same yeah. as him. Like when I heard that, when I read that in his book, I was like, oh, you're my guy. Like you're, I'm following you, man. Um, yeah. yeah. I love his work. Well, that's, it's so interesting to me because, you know, our story, we're childhood sweethearts. We got married young, we got divorced and I'm, and no concept of like masculine, feminine, just completely following the mainstream script. We grew up evangelical Christian, which is heavy encouragement to get married when, when we're young. And, and anyway, we split up, we're divorced and, and I'm kind of in my, my dark night of the soul, if you will, and getting exposed to these ideas, these spiritual concepts and, and finding my own sort of like healing journey through mindfulness um, and, and do come across David Data and uh, John Wineland. We actually, John Wineland's such a, such a catalyst for us in the mm -hmm. way that we uh, uh, resurrected our, our dead <laughs> relationship. That's so funny that your wife bought or your, you know, now wife yeah. bought you that book because I sent you John Wineland episodes. I was like, yeah. I think you might like uh, this guy. We weren't even back together mm -hmm. yet. And I was like, Hey, I, I think you might like this guy. I, you know, I, he's been really great for me. And then it was just like, it just resonated so, so deeply. And, and, but what came up was like, what the hell is men's work? Like what are guys doing? They're, they're getting together and like, just, just figuring their shit out. And so maybe for, um, uh, the listeners and, and, and for me as well, cause I've, I've never been in a men's group. How, how are you defining men's work? What, what goes on in the group? Is it like an account accountability team or like, like mm -hmm. break that down a little bit. Yeah. Everybody's going to describe this differently. Uh, every, every man is going to have his own definition of what men's work is, but what I say men's work is, is it's, Men have this tendency to get up in their heads, uh, to get disconnected from life, from the world, from their partners. Uh, we have a tendency to self-sabotage, to get in our own ways. Um, we have a tendency to disconnect from nature, to get really focused on uh, power, money, sex, uh, these very sort of sh shorter term, more futile goals. And disconnected also from the deeper parts of our nature, as well as our shadow, right? The shadow mm -hmm. is literally a uh, rejecting of certain sides of oneself, right? And so you can imagine a guy sort of taking these parts of himself that are important and just like discarding them slowly one piece at a time until you've got not very much of a human left, right? Mm -hmm. we, we, the world, society, life, the way it's all set up has a way of bleeding us of our vitality. Mm. And men's work is a way to restore that to reconnect men back to their source of power and to reconnect them back to themselves. 
And we do that in a number of ways. And every man's, every men's group does that differently. Uh, but some of the most common elements are um, sacred space, sitting together, confidential, going deep, not just talking about the weather or the outside things. We're talking about what's in here and what's in this circle and what's between you and me. Real stuff. Um, we're talking about what do you want to do with your life and why aren't you doing that right now? What's holding mm. you back? How can we support you? What do you need to get rid of? What do you need to see through? What bullshit are you holding on to that's preventing you from, from going there? Uh, we connect to our bodies. We get into the body. You know, so many guys in a men's meeting, you think about it, it's like Monday night, Tuesday night, or Wednesday night. Guys have worked all day. They've just been rushing and rushing. And it's just like, work, 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 shovel food into your face. Like hit the gym, you know, get mm -hmm. to the group. And like, you're, you're kind of only half there at best sometimes, right? I think a lot of guys can relate to that. And men's work is meant to, hey, come get back here, get in here, get in that body. You know, right. get into this space, like look me in the eye, connect for a minute, you know? And so we do these like eye to eye connection exercises. Um, there's a lot of different elements to it. Shadow work, you know, reclaiming uh, sides of yourself that are not appropriate anywhere else in society. Mm. We all need these kinds mm. of spaces that we can go to with our darkest stuff. Uh, and our stuff that we can't show on social media because you, you just only show your best self over there. You only show your best self at work. And, you know, a lot of people hold back in the relationships too, right? And so it's this place to really be fully expressed. Um, and there's also focus on these sort of um, divine, ultimate, archetypal energies that we can aim towards. You know, the king the warrior, the magician, the lover, and there's these sort of more sub archetypes of those things, but taking time to focus on, on those things and okay, like, yeah, what can we do to get into that energy of the warrior? What can we do to get into the energy of the, the magician or the lover? Um, so that's, <laughs> that's like, well, I don't know, a five minute description of yeah. what I think men's work is and uh, everybody's going to do it differently, but that's kind of the core of, of what it's about. Yeah, that's, that. that's super helpful. Um, <clears throat> and like, there's so much that's, that's coming up that I want to, you know, pull, pull the thread on. I think like trusting masculinity has been in the mainstream, a, a, a task for the feminine, uh, or, t or the, a task for women. But I think there's a, a an element and, and maybe an unseen or untalked about element for men as well. Um, trusting what is the immediate masculine figure in our lives, which is our father. Um, but even if you have a decent relationship with your father, it's, it's authority at large in a lot of cases in the way that, that culture looks. And so it's teachers and coaches and pastors and shit. By the time you get through high school, a lot of men, you know, myself included, don't actually trust masculinity, don't trust authority and so there's a few different approaches to take with that. There's the, you know, fuck you. I'm going to outperform the authority in a, in a sort of uh, counter way, or there's fear. And I'm going to be the opposite of that masculinity and become somewhat timid or disconnected or maybe even, even uh, feminine. And, yeah. and so I think that 
it's so relevant to be able to at least discuss um, how important trusting other masculine human beings can be as just sort of a, a foundation. Yeah. And I, I like you say masculine human beings, because we all have masculine and feminine energies inside of us. Right. And, and a, a lot mm-hmm. of men are mostly masculine, but there's a ton of men out there who are, who are, you know, might consider themselves 50, 50, or, you know, as John talks about in his book, there's some sides of him that are more feminine. And there's some sides right. of him that are more masculine, you know, like energetically or sexually or, you know, ex- in terms of how he expresses himself. So um, just a, a little caveat for people that, you know, sometimes your experience of masculinity in the world may come from a woman if you have a really masculine mother and your father takes a very feminine role in your house. Or if you have two mothers or two fathers, yeah. it tends to be a polarity there where one, one father is taking more of the feminine nurturing role and the other one is taking more of a structural, um, uh, masculine role it tends to be more disciplinarian and, and, uh, disciplined. Um, and you're right. You know, we all have some wound with the structure of the world. Uh, the, the archetype that is meant to keep us safe, right? Like that's, I see the masculine as this uh, creator of structure and thus creator of safety. And for many of us, we were at some point wounded by that, that energy, whether it was done in a way that we didn't understand and was just like, whoosh, you know, slapped or whether you're spanked, like I was spanked. And I, I actually, in my mind, I see it very trivially. Like, yeah, I was spanked just like the rest of my friends. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel in my mind like a big drama, but when you realize like what parents are supposed to represent this kind of safety, uh, when those people are hurting you, like they're, they're like physically abusing you, you know, or even my mother, like I said a bad word and she like would, in the car, we'd drive home like 20 minutes later, she dragged me inside and shoved soap in my mouth and was like, oh, wash my mouth out with soap, you know? Um, that is damaging because it makes you resent authority and power. It makes you not really trust that, that the authorities in the world have your best interest at heart and like they are going to keep you safe. They'll like only keep you safe conditionally if you like do mm-hmm. what they say. And so you have to reject a part of yourself in order to be accepted. And so, you know, we're all walking around not authentic because we had to change who we are in order to not get beat up in some way by the people who are supposed to keep the world safe for us. Hey, friend, how many of us at some point in our journey have thought we had to give up coffee in order to be healthier. I definitely have. But I learned that it wasn't the coffee that was making me feel crappy. It was the 92% of coffee beans that are covered in pesticides, glyphosate, and microscopic mold. I'm glad that didn't last long before I found my holy grail of healthy coffee, King Coffee. This is a combination of organic, mold-free, pesticide-free coffee and reishi mushroom spores, which supports every system in my body circulatory, endocrine, cardiovascular, immune, nervous system, and more. It's even anti-parasitic. 
Switching to King Coffee has honestly been one of the best decisions I've ever made for my overall health. To learn more about King and level up your coffee experience, go to themedicinemedicin.com forward slash coffee, themedicine.com forward slash coffee. All right. Enjoy. Cheers and love. Mm-hmm. The people who are creating the, the structure that's supposed to keep us keep us safe. So, yeah, we we end up as adults, a lot of us, with um, some work to do around our relationship to power and mm. the structures of the world. And a lot of people think that all politics is evil, um, all corporate anything is evil. Um, these sort of like blanket. Uh, assumptions about the power structures of the world. Uh, all cops are just out to get you, you know, uh, and that speaks to our relationship to power and, and in some ways, like not having stepped into our own power, because mm-hmm. once you've stepped into real responsibility in your life, you start to understand what some of these structures, how they serve the world. But just to come back, like, I think a lot of people, they never actually will get there. They will never really get to their ultimate place of holding um, holding a burden or holding a responsibility for the world, holding a lot of power until they deal with their relationship to that. They deal with their resentments and their wounding and their and thus projection onto the world that the world is like this based on mm-hmm. what my wound was. Right. And so Chase, I you know, you talked about this sort of two ways of reacting to, to that. And it's like, I'm going to like fight the world, like fuck the world, the punks, you know, the rebels mm-hmm. out there. And I'm going to, I'm going to like bring my aggression to the structure of the world and try to tear them down, you know? And, um, that doesn't work very well for like becoming a powerful person unless you're going to be like, create your own gang. You know, right. join the mob, yeah. <laughs> or you reject it altogether, and you don't want anything to do with it, and you become this like subdued, like I don't even believe in any of that. I'm just gonna like become a nice guy, <laughs> right? Right, a nice guy, which yeah. is mm-hmm. a, a whole other problem, which I suffered from, mm. uh, the nice guy syndrome. So there is another way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I I love the the visual, the imagery of when, you know, kind of rewinding a little bit to the men's work. I think this is a, a human experience, but as we're on the topic of masculinity and, and men, um, you know, the, the idea or the visual of a man kind of discarding certain aspects of himself, whether they're not serving him or whether they feel like dead weight or whether they feel ineffective or uh, inefficient, um, you know, like, ah, emo- you can't trust emotion. Like, I'm just going to like mm-hmm. fully like cut myself off from yeah. my emotions because they're untrust- untrustworthy. Like that's for women. That's, you know, the feminine. And so you have, I picture just a man like letting go of almost like limbs of himself. And then what you're left with is like sort of a shell. And I imagine that this is, you know, some of the, the, the men that are coming to you are in this shell state where they're like, I don't know what I need. I'm just here. And I'm hoping that someone can, can help me. I'm sure that the, 
Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Maybe like um, in the the men that you work with, like speaking to their state and how you'd kind of diagnose the current state of masculinity. Like, what are these men already? What are they getting right? Where where are they succeeding in their life right now with the men that you're working with? And and what are they getting really wrong? If you could speak generally. I think a lot of men that come to my men's groups is they, a lot of men have figured out the mechanics of life. They figured out how to make money mm. and they've, they've figured out how to succeed at a superficial level in the world in general. Um, especially I think in North America, um, if you're an able-bodied man who has a brain that's working, the system is set up for you to succeed. You've just got to find opportunities, learn how to put in work, learn how to show up and not sabotage yourself every, every time build a resume, you know? And for a lot of guys, um, who I meet when they're 30 years old, they figured out how to make money. They don't necessarily know what they're doing with their lives and like what their purpose is. And they, they don't necessarily know their mission. They've gotten good at some stuff. They have some skills and they have some great character traits and some good energy. Um, but there is this kind of lostness that I see in a lot of guys when they show up looking for a men's group, because I think when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, it's common as a guy to think that the pinnacle of success is to be making good money and to have a great car and a, and a nice house or a good place to live and a hot girlfriend, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of guys, by the time they're 30, they get a good taste of that. They get some money. They've got, they've had some great life experiences. They've gone on some amazing trips and they like dated some, maybe their dream person, maybe they are dating that person or married. Um, but they have this feeling like, uh, you know, this isn't what I, th I'm not feeling how I thought I was going to feel Yeah. Uh, when I was 20 and geez, there's gotta be more. And they start to look for signs that maybe that is true. And they start to see other guys who are also successful, but who seem happier, uh, and who are, talking about a level of depth that they don't understand. And so they come to an open house or they comment on my Instagram or they listen to my podcast and and then they end up sitting in men's group being like, Hey, you know, some guys say like, I don't know why I'm here, but I, I just, I know I need more or I need, I need, I know I need some connection with men. Also, by the time you're 30, your high school friends are starting to get like, it's kind of getting old. You know, there, there's some friends that you maybe you've been holding on to for the sake of like, yeah, we've known each other a long time, but like all you kind of do when you get together is the same old thing and maybe you drink and maybe you party and it's kind of like shallow. And again, you're like, yeah, is there's is there going to be something more here. The midlife <laughs> crisis starts to kind of creep up on you. And so you're seeking that. And one time I sat in an open house with a bunch of guys and we went around this circle. There was about 20 guys there. And we said, why are you here? What's, 
what's got you interested in men's work? And at least half the guys said, I am in a relationship with a woman. She's the best partner I've ever had. And I'm not sure that I have the tools to make mm. this thing go the distance and I need help. And that was my case when I joined. Mm. And it's interesting to go to a group of men for that, but that, that happens a lot. Why do you think that is? I think that is partially because of uh, the way our society is set up. There's this, there's this focus on sort of like making money and achieving financial success and building your career. Um, and there's a real lack of relational teaching and relational understanding. Um, people will spend 15 years after high school to get a PhD, you know, to, to go to med school, to become a doctor. And they will learn very little about anything other than mm. the medical field. Yeah. Uh, and even, in, even there, that's, that you, you guys know that training is lacking too. Like the amount of time spent on nutrition or anything sort of alternative, there's this very right. sort of linear thing, but doctors aren't taught how to deal with finances. They aren't really even taught how to deal with their stress, uh, or how to do, how to do relationships. And so they graduate with this like sharp intellect, but lacking in all these other areas. And I think a lot of people have that experience when it comes to relationships and relationship to self, you know, like we drive hard and we push hard and there the, a lot of our, uh, how our society is built up is around neglect for self and like put your relationships aside for the, mm -hmm. for the business, for the corporation, for the, for the goal, uh, whatever it is. And at some point we realize like, Oh, I'm, I'm like starving right now. Yeah. I, I yeah. didn't know it until this moment. Yeah. What's coming up for me there is, you know, there's, there's complete neglect for the development of emotional intelligence and neglect for just energetic agility. And that's masculine and feminine at large. And so I'm curious your thoughts, but highly likely that we'll default to what's been modeled in our life from a relationship perspective. If we don't, actively use conscious, intentional um, effort towards reprogramming some of those conditions that are probably default in our system. So maybe that's mm -hmm. your parents or at least mm -hmm. the relationships that were in your community when you were younger. And so it's almost like you show up into a mature relationship. You move on from kind of the phase where you're uh, having a hell of a time because you're young and you're beautiful and, and, uh, you know, sparks are flying and then you get into that more like second phase of the relationship where things get a little more logistical and you're, you're, you're a little more desensitized to, you know, certain attributes, um, of, of the relationship dynamic. And all of a sudden you respond in a way that sounds like your grumpy dad or, <laughs> or your bitchy or your bitchy mom. And those buttons are just consistently getting pressed. It's like, Whoa, there's my 30 year old relationship button that is now being expressed. I have no idea where that came from. It almost just like vomited out of me. Um, but it's, it, it yeah. maybe, is it that neglect? Is it the neglect of, you know, maybe a decade or more of actually developing what it's like or what it should be like to have a, uh, an evolved relationship? Well, I hear you saying what's true, which is that we tend to repeat what's 
taught to us. Like we're very, you know, there's, there's nature and there's nurture, right? Nature is your genetics and nurture is your environment that you grow up in. And increasingly, you know, 30 years ago, we thought everything was genetics. (laughs) We thought it was all genetic. And the further we go now, the more we see how our environment dictates so much uh, that's going to happen down the line. And so, yeah, your experience of relationships uh, when you're a child forms a image of how relationships should be that you then seek out unconsciously in your adult life. And so, yeah, I hear you talking about a lack. I mean, without doing anything, what we're all destined to do is to just sort of repeat in some way, the environment of our childhoods. It doesn't mean that like, it's not super linear sometimes, like you don't just recreate uh, the exact scene from your child. In fact, you may be directly attempting to create something uh, opposite from it. But something that's common in uh, relationship teachings is, is this understanding of ghost figures. And so the idea is that when you're triggered, when it's, when it's a big trigger, something relationally is triggering you, think about who that person reminds you of or what memory that reminds you of. And often it's someone who was close to you, your mother, your father, or a brother, or an uncle who was in the house a lot, um, or a teacher that had a huge impact on you in a negative way. And um, what we react to in adulthood in a big way is historical and mm. So, you know, in my case, my romantic partner will often be, uh, I will see her as my brother. If she's um, confronting me or uh, I feel like she's trying to tell me what to do or she's giving me some feedback um, or I feel like dominated at all by her, it's about my brother. Interesting. Mm. And sometimes it's, it's actually my mother as well, because my mother sort of put these control elements on me. She, I was I was like constantly in behavior contracts when I was a kid. So I was oh getting gosh. kicked out of school. And my mom was just trying to figure out how to control me and in some ways sedate me, calm me down. And I was sedated. I was put on uh, Dexedrine and Ritalin. And so sometimes I'll project my mother onto her. Like I'll react mm. pretty strong against something that she's saying and and um it'll take her off guard because I'm triggered. And what I'm reacting to in that moment is this like emotion, this feeling that like is so, I felt so many times as a kid, it's a Mm -hmm. reminder. And she becomes a ghost figure from the past. And so we take those into our relationships. And, and so if you're listening to this and you, you keep ending up in relationships with someone who reminds you of your father or your mother, and you're, you're like, it's the last thing you want. You're, it's actually trying something that you're trying to escape, but it keeps yeah. happening. This is very common. This is what we do. You know, if you think about why am I attracted to the people that I'm attracted to? Well, because like hip size, lip size, you know, I like these colors, of, but why do you like what you like? Like you actually don't control that. You don't control why you like pancakes or 
bananas or the particular things that you like, you, you don't control that. It's just programmed into you. What you seek in relationships is the same. There is, it's this largely unconscious thing. And in terms of personality and um, the way that a person shows up, we actually tend to unconsciously attract people who would fit the bill to trigger us and mm -hmm. to bring up those old wounds and to become the person that we were trying to get away from. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. totally, I, I, I'm getting the imagery of, you know, as you're talking about triggers and that our, our partner kind of becomes this ghost figure <clears throat> and why are we, why are we attracted to the people that we are? I almost think of it like hints, like little Easter eggs that your soul is opening up, like revealing to you, like, here's an Easter egg for you to find, aka a trigger that's pointing back to, like you said, historically, something that needs to be healed or addressed or just looked at, just acknowledged at, at first before we even go to healing. Like, let's just look at it. Let's just be aware of it. Like, that's step one. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it, when you think about it, when you can spin it that way, we've talked about this before in, in other relationship podcasts with other experts where it's like, you should be thanking your partner when they are that mirror of you know reflection for you, bringing up and bringing to light this opportunity for you to look at some aspect or some part of your inner world that still maybe isn't healed. Like, we really should be thanking each other when it comes up. Like, I mean, that's the last thing we want to do when we're triggering each other is like, Thank you so much for triggering me. <laughs> right. Like I am pissed off mm -hmm. and I'm so happy about it. Like that's not what we do realistically, but if we were able to slow down and really like center ourselves, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. It's this idea of saying yes to the challenge that's in front of you and claiming some ownership over it because we tend to a disempowered way of being in the world is to blame the world for doing what it did to us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yeah, we do that with all kinds of things. And we do that in relationship. We blame the other person for hurting us or for not giving us what we asked for or what we needed. And yeah, it's a very disempowered, it's a sort of a childish way to be, right? And we, we can all be that way in adulthood. The empowered way to be is to try to find where you set up the conditions that created this possibility. Mm -hmm. In what way was I asking for this to happen? And the way that you're talking about it, it's like, what's the spiritual lesson that is upon me yeah. <laughs> in this conflict or through this thing happening to me? And, and that can even come through like when, when, really harsh things are happening. Like someone's crossing your boundaries, you know, there's this, um, saying that like we teach people how to treat us and it doesn't apply across the board. It doesn't apply when you like get T-boned at an intersection, you know, when it's just out of the blue, but like when you're in a long-term relationship with someone, uh, there's this slow, slow, but sure, um, egress that can happen with boundaries where we give it away, we give it away, we give it away. Oh, I'm just going to like, I'm going to let this slide. I'm going to let that slide. And while a person slowly moves into our space and all of a sudden they're like standing on us 
<laughs> and, and, and hurting us. And we're like, how did this happen? You know? Yeah. And um, this isn't about blaming the victim. Like I just, I want to be clear because people are always like, yeah, well, what about abuse? Well, one thing I want to point out is that, that women who end up in abusive relationships, when you talk to them and you ask them about their relationship history, sometimes like every relationship has been abusive. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then you ask them about their childhood and there's abuse there. And uh, that's not a coincidence. It's, we tend to actually recreate, we unconsciously recreate these situations and, and like enter into situations that uh, will end up the same, not because the world is cruel and because we're doomed, but because there's actually your nature wants to resolve that. We want to resolve mm-hmm. our childhood wounds. And so we kind of unconsciously go back to those places to try to fix it. But if we don't see the opportunity and we keep that sort of external locus of control, blaming the world for doing things to us, we never get the lesson. And any woman who has escaped an abusive relationship knows that she had to really fight hard against her instincts to go back. And she had to like sort of unlearn some of the ways of being in a relationship that she had learned and she had to like learn how to set boundaries and how to say no and how to stay, trust her instincts, like reform Mm -hmm. what her gut is telling her, you know? And to love herself first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's worthy of love. Yeah. Um, Speaking of, of women, I am loving this so much, but I, I, um, I would love to speak to our, uh, female or uh, women listeners right now. If you could create a giant billboard that every woman in the world was going to see, and it would be translated perfectly into their language, <laughs> every woman would see this. What would you want to teach us about men? What comes to mind first, at like you know, for speaking at a societal level or population level thing, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna put these everywhere. It would say something like, "If you want men to be better, lift them mm. up, lift them towards conscious masculinity." You know, um, that will serve us all so much better than trying to tear down yeah uh the dark trying to trying to take down the dark masculine um because the the side of a man that um takes that wants to take from a woman uh that sees her as an object and an an object of pleasure or whatever he wants to use her for that's the shadow. That's the dark side. And every man has that inside of him. And any man who dis, who 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 says that he doesn't have that side is rejecting it. It's a part of everyone that we all have an exploiter in us. And it's on men to do that work, to own that. And, you know, I think it's been on women to do diff- other work, you know, and the me too movement was part of that. It was like, Hey, out of the shadows, not hiding mm-hmm. what happened to us anymore. Right. Like that was beautiful. Um, 
But as a society, we have to be really careful about trying to like take down the bad guy because mm-hmm. we do that a lot. And it's, I think it's actually worse now than it's ever been. Right. Like right. that side's bad. We got to take them down. You know, Yeah. the, yep. the Democrats think the Republicans are wrecking the country and they just got to destroy them. And the Republicans think the same thing about the Democrats, but like, folks, you're in a two-sided system. If you get rid of one side, you have no one to debate anymore. Like it's <laughs> right. built that way. You need the other side. Yes. And uh, we can't, we can't destroy our shadows. We can't destroy our darkness. And you can't get rid of all the bad men in the world by locking them up and throwing them all in jail because every man has bad in him. Hey friends, did you know that the amount of muscle you have on your body is directly related to overall health and longevity as you age? Generally, people who have a healthy amount of muscle have lower rates of chronic illness like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and are better equipped to deal with acute illness like the flu. This is why Chase and I support the concept of muscle-centric medicine. To build healthy muscle, we need quality sources of protein. In addition to our quality meat, Chase and I also use protein powder to ensure we are getting enough protein each day. Our two favorite protein powders are the plant-based Organifi protein, which is organic, non-GMO, and glyphosate residue-free, and the animal-based whey protein by Keon, which is non-GMO and comes directly from grass-fed, pasture-raised cows with no antibiotics and virtually lactose-free. We love and use both daily in smoothies, stirred into yogurt, protein pancakes, and even baked goods. Getting adequate amounts of protein helps us feel satiated, build healthy muscle, recover faster, and maintain optimal body composition year-round. To try Organifi's plant-based protein, go to Organifi.com and use the code MIMIFIT, M-I-M-I-F-I-T, for a hefty 20% off. And for Keon Whey Protein, go to GetKeon.com and use the code MEDICINE, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, for 10% off. Or just check the show notes below for the direct link. Cheers to muscle-centric medicine. We do need to prosecute the the Weinstein's of the world, of course. Sure, yeah, but, level of accountability for sure. Yeah, but all the guys that I know have, you know, your average amount of light and dark in them, and they're not, uh, they don't need to go to jail. So how do we deal with those guys? You can't just just take them down, you know, just take down their dark side, because a lot of guys that I know are feeling squashed and disempowered by the world right now, and like, what's my place? You know, well. Mm-hmm. That we're it's because we're like trying to erase their seat from yeah. <laughs> from society. Like Ugh. we need to know where to go. And and the reason I say this with such passion is because my wife does this for me. She in many ways has made me the person that I am today because she has lifted up the best parts of me. Mm. And she has mirrored and shown appreciation for what she's looking for (laughs) from me, you know? And I think it's very common to want to complain, tear down, destroy what you don't like. And, but you're, you're, you're dealing with a human and we need to be invited to, we need positivity. We need acceptance and love. We need things to come from love. 
if we're really going to move towards them, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to see more of is like the whole world guiding men towards what we might call the conscious masculine. And while, you know, acknowledging the shadow, but it's just the shadow makes the news. It gets people upset. Fear and anger on social media sell better than love and consciousness. And unity. And yeah. So that's, that's I think, what, what we need more of. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's I like ladies watch your guy literally just like blow up in his chest. When you speak to the versions of him that embody the king, the warrior, the magician, the lover, it's like you can literally see the, the, the masculine inflate legitimately um, when spoken into that way. I mean, mm-hmm. just, just in our relationship dynamic, like dudes love compliments. <laughs> like we love being spoken into the versions of ourselves that we know is our potential. Yeah. It's, it's so motivating. It's something that I talk to women quite a bit on the podcast and on social media and like, um, you know, empowering your partner. Like what does an empowered partner look like? What, how do they speak? How do they speak to each other? Are you looking for opportunity to tear down, to score keep, to make them feel dumb? Mm-hmm. Well, that dude guy is probably not going to have this overflowing abundance of confidence and, um, you know, this desire to ravish his woman like we all want to be. You know, and I think that that's a real awakening, you know, for certainly women that I've spoken to realizing like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much I was tearing my man down and, and, you know, can't remember the last time that I spoke into him. And this is, this is just about, you know, becoming aware of ourselves and, and what's the starting point? Where are we starting so that we can choose differently? Um, that inventory, taking inventory of the situation is really important. Um, but I think that that's something that gets looked over a lot. And certainly this can go both ways. That's also another yeah. thing that I get. Whenever I have a post on Instagram or whatever about emasculation and how it, all the sneaky ways that it finds its way, its tendrils locked into relationship where it just becomes normal. Oh, that's yeah. just our sense of humor. Oh, that's just how we talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's like, okay, that's fine. But the question is, what do you want to create in your relationship? Do you want to create a relationship that is bantering and you're poking each other all the time? Or do you want to create safety and love and ravishment and depth? That -hmm. requires a different set of ingredients than the former. Yep. And yeah, that's my my rant on emasculation. (laughs) I feel very strongly about it. I think part of what goes on in relationships is, is we kind of make our partner everything. And, you know, I'm imagining a woman constantly bringing her complaints to her man. And in some way it's our nature to, to it's, it's our nature to want more. That's for sure. Uh, uh, but the dark feminine tends to bring that in a way that is just complaining. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Women need relationship support. They need other women to talk to about their relationship and sometimes other men. You know, I have my wife's friends call me sometimes to just reflect and listen and, you know, her female friends. Hmm? Her female friends. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, just a reality check. And they're like, hey, like I'm talking to this guy and like this is what's going on. This is what my reaction is. Like, am I crazy? Like, what's he doing? Like, <laughs> I what am that. I doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. It's good to be able to do that. Um, and it's important to be able to do that because again, societally, it's like we have this nuclear thing going on and we we put way too many eggs in one basket with our relationships. Especially when I was younger. I remember noticing, like, you know, we had the we had the fellas, the gang. And Buddy gets in a relationship and he disappears. He's gone. <laughs> right. For like a year and a half. And then they break up and he's back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, dude, you you were completely gone. Like, that's too much. You went too hard, you know? And I think yeah. we all learned that early on, but we, we, can, we can do that all through life. And our society encourages that kind of isolation. And men need this too. Like, we need to be able to have trusted advisors who we can go and vent to and like, this is what's happening. This is what I said. And this is what you said to me. And I'm pissed off about that. You know, we get some stuff out and so that you can come back to your partner and like be level headed and share like what was really going on for you. Cause what we do a lot is we seek no counsel. You know, neither person is seeking counsel outside the relationship. And uh, maybe you get a little bit of collusion from your friends where they just agree and tell yeah. you that you're right yeah. all the time, <laughs> which isn't that girl. helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. yeah he's, no, it's, it's no good for you. Fuel you know? on the yeah. fire. Yeah. Yeah. Don't uh, and, then, <laughs> and then we just throw it all at each other and it's, it's too much. It's, it's literally too much for us to handle. And my belief is like, yeah, it is because it's not meant to like, we're meant to live in a village. Like there's, there's meant to be these little posses all over the place. Like, men meeting in circles and women meeting in the women's tent. And like that happened has happened for hundreds of years until just recently when we started living these really kind of isolated boxes, even just at the turn of the century, two thirds of men were part of the Freemasons or some other associated group. Mm, wow. You know, that, the turn of yeah. the last century in 1900. So like there were, there was this sort of like getting together and like recharging and, and like being in one another's energy. And it seems we only get that now if we go looking for it. And so, yeah, my message is like, that's a vitamin that we all need and you better go get it because otherwise you're putting too much on yourself and you're putting too much on your romantic partner if you're in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and, so and it, it makes me, and you, you said it earlier, um, but it's this, it's this feeling of where do I go and, yeah. and where do I belong? And unfortunately, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, in the way that the, the world looks right now, is there are some really convenient, pleasurable alternatives that aren't fruitful in nature. They're not long-term uh, satiating, but they're littered with pleasure. And so when you don't feel like you belong, there are alternatives to feeling quote-unquote good yeah. nearby. And I, what I mean by that specifically is porn um shit food video games video games these highly pleasurable alternatives are you seeing that in your work what concerns you about those options that are seemingly everywhere which can kind of fill the purpose void seemingly yeah, yeah. i am seeing it everywhere just like you guys are um i am concerned even the guys who I know who like really have their shit together are very borderline addicted to their phones at times or other things, you know, cannabis right. has become 
virtually legalized in Canada here and cannabis, like cannabis has had a real run in a lot of people's lives. Mm. Um, porn also just like has used to like, you used to have to like get to your porno mag or get to a <laughs> <Right>. video <laughs> somewhere, but like now yeah. it's in your pocket anytime. Um, you so almost have to do work. It seems like just having a, you know, a male partner who doesn't engage in that. It seems like the guys that don't want to have that in front of their face, you actually have to work to not have yeah, it in front of your hard. face. Like on Instagram. I saw a stat today. 41% yeah. of 12 year olds oh, have seen God. porn. 58% of them. I think it was accidental because, mm -hmm. and I could be butchering this. Don't, don't grill me anybody on this, but 41% of 12 year olds had seen it. 58% said it was unintended. It just showed up because they've got a phone and yeah. you know, yeah. somebody's throwing, throwing booty pics on the Instagram Explorer page, uh, mm -hmm. just out of, out of the way that the whole platform is set up. Yep. Yeah. It's there. And man, you think about a hundred years ago, like what did people have to, to, to pleasure themselves? You know, <laughs> uh, it, it was not as accessible as it, as it is now, right? Other people, is useful tobacco alcohol but like most other things were not very accessible and now we have just a just so many things even the drugs the drugs are getting stronger and stronger to the point where mm -hmm. now people are accidentally dying like crazy with fentanyl the fentanyl is like a mm -hmm. hundred times more strong than than uh oxys you know mm -hmm. whatever it is um so it, everything's become so powerful now that we can like accidentally overdose and die um, and media is becoming more and more powerful, more and more immersive and, and just our screens all together and how integrated our lives are with our phones. Right. Um, it's a problem. And I certainly think we're getting more and more addicted and I'm worried about where that goes. And at an individual level, we are having to pick up more and more of the responsibility of managing our attention, managing our own dopamine systems, our own reward pathways, yeah. and just like trying to get that in line, you know, no screen time days, like one day a week, no screens or like going on these Vipassana retreats or, um, you know, nop nom challenge, no porn, no masturbation challenges with men's groups. You know, a lot of guys, when they first join a men's group, that's one of the lowest hanging fruits that they go after mm. is like, okay, it's accountability time. Okay. No porn, no masturbation for 30 days, you know? And mm. like, I need accountability buddy. And like, you get a buddy and you go for it because it's hard. Um, and there's lots of other things to do that with. So I work with guys who are dealing with addiction and I run a small group of guys that they sort of come in for three to six months and it's a boot camp where you get your shit together with the accountability of a men's group. Um, and I think we're going to need more and more of those as time goes on because yeah, I think my worry is that we are descending to a place where we're all just like, we turn into these mushy blobs that are just like plugged into the matrix and we're just like, yeah. oh, you know, give yeah. me more pleasure. Like there's a few movies about this. Um, yeah. Wally. Wally. A ball. Yeah, Wally. Yeah, Wally. Wally's so good. Yeah. 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 And then there's we're, we're, there's the other one where it's like um this dystopian world that where everybody became stupid. <laughs> uh, I know, man. I, I'll, if I remember the name, I'll I'll say it. It's it's a great movie. But um yeah, I'm worried that that's where we're headed. And the only way we're uh not gonna get there is if each is if 
individually people really like reclaim their sovereignty mm-hmm. and um their um their choice about when to engage with these tools yeah these pleasure tools that we have yeah. right that also happen to be the things that will make us money and get things done and help us learn things and help us remember stuff and keep the time yeah. and navigate us to where we want to go like they do all the things and we have to really be in the driver's seat around how to how to engage this stuff yeah, yeah you're so right and i it definitely comes down to the individual but then it you know ripples through the household and, you know, we were talking before we pushed record that you're a new dad. Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, we would love to hear on that note of starting with the individual, but it also, you know, starts in the home. And we'd be curious to hear from you, you know, what are, how are you approaching your, um, your role uh, with a new baby and boy or girl, remind me. Girl. Okay. So you're, you're a, a girl dad. Um, how are you looking to embody? What are the pillars or nutrients or values that you want to embody for your daughter? Um, you know, uh, what does that look like for you? How are you approaching that? I really want to, first of all, be present for her. I, I, I've endeavored in my life to, to live in a way that doesn't require me to be away from home for 40 to 50 hours a week. And some people are down for that and they will, they will do that and they will shape their lives around that. But, um, my dad was away a lot. He was a doctor and he was really dedicated to what he did and he was good at what he did. But, you know, I missed his presence in my life. Um, and I, I, I missed, I also missed this like masculine structure that comes from love. Um, from him, he would just kind of like come in and like drop the hammer and then leave in a way. Um, what I'm trying to bring with our daughter is this like open hearted presence, um, fun, encouragement, um, safety with some of the unique things that a father provides, like one of them is this sort of like challenge, challenge, uh, and, and the creation of games that might take a child to their edge, uh, wrestling, um, jumping, like some of the things that, that, um, require your safety threshold to be a little bit lower. Mm. <laughs> it's like mother's safety thresholds, like way up <laughs> right. here. Father can, can take up all this certain space with kids, uh, and, and like, let them run a little bit, let them get hurt a little bit and explore the world. I really want to be there for her to do those things. Um, and to also be an example of like what an integrated, what the integrated man is, yeah. which is like not a man who rejects his own femininity, his own feminine side. Right. And I think, um, men's work isn't just about just about only the masculine stuff. Uh, all men have a feminine side. And I think what we refer to as toxic masculinity very much has to do with men rejecting their feminine and, and all things feminine in the, in the world, mm-hmm. uh, which I would say is like, yeah, their emotions is, 
a big part of it. Uh, and just like subscribing to this like small box of what a man is, you know, like a man can't wear pink, you know, or <laughs> <laughs> like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, a man can't sing or be joyous uh, and expressive. Cause like I actually, I come from Alberta, which is like the Texas of Canada. And there was this thing around like, you know, raising your voice like I am right now or singing or um, expressing your desire, your yearning here, this is what I want or dancing. Um, All this sort of like rejection of these subtly feminine things. And uh, an integrated man has a connection to all of those things and doesn't reject them and encourages that. Because how this plays out is if you reject all of these things in yourself, you will reject them when you see them in other people. You'll reject them in your yep. feminine partner mm-hmm. and you'll reject them in your daughter. Yep. And my goal is to not do that with her and to really embrace her all of her, her, her masculine and her feminine qualities as they come through and, and really it's like, yeah, explore that, you know, encourage that and give her that open forum and space to explore. Yep. Yeah. I think as a, as a father being in touch with that feminine side for both a, a child that would be a girl or a boy, it's a, you're able to see by example that being a, ch- being childlike is okay. And it's something that we can continue to integrate into adulthood. And like so much of what gets called feminine for men as adults is really just them trying to find their child again and be mm-hmm. able to play, laugh, and dance. Our our great teacher, Paul Chak, consistently says, like, when did you start stop laughing? When did you stop dancing? When did you stop dreaming? These are the things that this is likely the time that dis-ease crept into your life. This is likely mm-hmm. the time that you have lost your your child. So much of my healing after we split up was like, damn, man, I haven't fucking goofed off in way too long. I was this serious asshole who needed money, status, you know, uh, climbing the ranks of the the corporate ladder in order to feel happy. And um, I think so much of just like, and I'm glad to hear you say this because there there is a move in kind of the masculine world of just like abandoning this idea that men have a feminine essence uh, or a feminine attribute to themselves um, and that it doesn't exist. And I I completely disagree. And I think it's part of having an inner child that can be uh, balanced, yes, and and integrated at the the appropriate times, but it's so critical uh, in order to have happiness, to have presence, to have play. Yeah, man, that piece around not allowing your child to be childish mm-hmm. is it just strikes a chord yeah. because the, the amount of times that I essentially was told to grow up mm-hmm. when I was a kid or saw adults telling other kids to grow up um, or some of the old practices of parenting that my wife and I are not doing like, um, like the cry it out method, like, oh, just leave them over there and they'll just, they'll, they'll just cry themselves to sleep. No, they're like, they're like freaking out until they pass out from exhaustion. That's what crying it out is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we are essentially like conveying the message, like, Hey, the world is cold and dark and you've just got to like, you're screwed. You know, there's no one's going to help you. So like grow up, uh, when you're a baby, you're just telling people <laughs> to grow up when they're, they're not grown up. And we do that with kids at all these different stages of life. 
tell them to be more mature than they are. And in many ways, the school system, I think, is set up just to create these like conforming factory workers, right? Mm -hmm. Just like do as you're told, learn what you're supposed to learn. Don't, don't get creative and don't explore really. I don't think humanity is going to get out of the mess we're in if we keep creating that kind of person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Right. We need bigger thinkers. We need, uh, we need all of our potential at the ready for the shit that is coming down the pipes here. We don't need zombies that, that are cut off and shut down and disconnected. We need fully alive people who are like ready and have their wits and have their creativity at their disposal. And, and that's how you get it is by allowing a child to be a child, allowing them to explore, allowing them to develop as nature intended. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I love that. It's so funny. You bring up, uh, you know, uh, we, we've (laughs) had these conversations recently. We go back and watch movies from our childhood and they're movies that we love. Like home alone is a good example. You go back and watch home alone as a, you know, I would call a somewhat conscious adult where you're, you know, I personally, you know, thinking about how do we, how would we want to raise a child? What, what are the values that we would want to instill? What do we want to teach them? What do we, you know, hope that they would be like? What what do we want to be like? All these questions swirling in your mind. Mm -hmm. You watch a movie like home alone and how they treat, you know, their youngest child. Yeah. Um, Kevin, it's like, I put it on my story. I was so like shocked from it. I was appalled at the way that these parents were treating this child. And uh, it it was one of those things where you don't remember it really as a kid. You're just like, yeah, parents suck. But it, it it really was not that far off. Oh, it resonates. I mean, it's a popular reality it for a reason. It's yep. not that far off from what probably all of us here <laughs> and probably the majority of people who are listening to this or watching this had, to, you know, dealt with as a kid, someone, you know, saying, grow up, don't be so yep. childish, you know, inside voices, like sit yep. down and shut up kind of behavior. And it's like, man, it like hurts my heart when I watch it now, because oh, that is totally. the opposite of the parent that I want to be in the future. I mean, I don't know about others, but I've had those moments when you're a kid and you're like alone in your room because you, you did something and you're like, everybody fucking hates me. Like, yeah. why does, why is everybody yeah. against me right now? And like, I, I say that, but that rage like still lives in me to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And you see those types of things, even if it's, if it's traumatized in movies and it resonates, man, it freaking just strikes yeah. a chord. Yeah. It, well, because what's on the other side of that, like do as we say, it's or we will withdraw our love from you. Yeah, that's what, like yeah. that's what you need as a kid is attachment to your family and to know that you're accepted by your tribe for who you are. Yeah, Gabor Mate says that there's two main instincts that we all have: authenticity to like be ourselves. We we have a just a core need to express the uniqueness of who we are, and attachment, the attachment to the tribe to the family and to know that you're not left out in the cold. Hey friend, by now I think most of us realize that our earth needs our support more than ever. Sadly, most of the usable soil on earth has been degraded into lifeless dust by conventional farming's overuse of glyphosate and pesticides. This is a big problem for not only us, but even bigger problem for our kids' generation. Chase and I's favorite way to support the earth is by supporting the regenerative farmers who use methods that do not degrade the 
the soil, but builds robust, rich, biodiverse soil. Every month we receive our meat subscription box from Wild Pastures that provides a wide variety of meat, chicken, sausage, pork, beef, and even organ meats if we want. These are the best prices we have found on meat that's organic, pasture-raised, and sourced from regenerative farmers. And boxes are completely customizable to fit your family's needs. With Wild Pastures, you're not only supporting your family's health with the highest quality meat, you're also supporting future generations and our earth, our home. Now, Wild Pastures is giving you 20% off your subscription and free shipping for life. Just check the show notes below for our direct link and start building your first box. Enjoy. Yeah. And what the old style of parenting threatens your attachment when you're being authentically yourself because mm. it's uncomfortable. Uh, mm -hmm. Your anger is not okay in this house. Your The way that you're talking is not okay here. And so we will detach from you unless you change, unless you shut down this part of yourself. And so when attachment is threatened, we will sacrifice authenticity every time. Yeah. We will, we will give away a piece of ourselves every time. Mm -hmm. And so there was Kevin rejected by his family in a way. It's like they, they I think in the movie, they just unconsciously left him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they accidentally left him, but you can sort of see how the kid was an afterthought in that family and right. he was rejected by all uh, because he was probably a little bit rambunctious and pretty creative and got into some shit. Right. Totally. And totally. he gets left. He gets it. So that's, it, it's what I'm talking about playing out, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good for you, man. I, I'm, I'm, so glad that this is what we as a community of people who claim to be uh, searching for consciousness uh, get to be a part of and, and, and really like impacting the world in this way. Um, couple couple questions for you kind of in the, just the relationship space at large. Um, you know, this is a topic that we love and I think is so wildly helpful in addition to, to topics like parenting and, and like how much impact can be made just by improving the relationships in your life. Um, we often get this question, and I know that you're in this work and, and be, would be curious to hear what you have to say, but it's oftentimes coming from from women and they're in a relationship. And the question is, how do I get him in on the work? How do I enroll yeah. him into the conscious relationship work? Mm -hmm. How do you typically, have you heard that question? And how do you typically <laughs> uh, respond? Every day of my life. <laughs> I get that question. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one to answer because I, you know, the other question that I get from people is how do I help my drug addicted or porn addicted friend or partner? How do mm. I get someone who's addicted to see that they're addicted and then change? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's an interesting question because, you know, how do you get someone to change who doesn't want to change? Yep. Right? It's not that easy. We can't just make each other change. And it's not that easy to motivate someone to do something they don't want to do. Um, there are ways that you can leverage your relationship with a person. You know, when it comes to addiction, it's like you can have an intervention. You can, you can sit them down, 
get them in a room and, and back them into a corner and tell them how this is impacting you and how you're not going to enable them anymore, you know, and that can create enough of a fire on her person's butt to, to get them moving. When it comes to getting into the work, what I advocate for is just lighter versions of that, you know, uh, partners telling each other what they want, mm. you know, like I want to do this kind of work with you. I want to, I want this kind of a relationship where we talk about our feelings and we dream together and, and we can explore our shadows together, or we can talk about our dark sides and, uh, where we can talk about, you know, how you're a ghost figure in my life and how I'm a ghost figure in your life and what that, how that's showing up. You know, I want to be able to do that kind of work. I want to, I want to, maybe, maybe you want to go to a John Wineland workshop. Maybe you want to go to a Harville and Helen Hendricks workshop and work on your relationship, like speak to what you want. You know, that, I think that's the most important thing because it can be easy to focus on the complaint like we were talking about earlier, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it's also important to speak to what you don't want, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, both me and my partner have brought things to one another about how we're communicating and said like, hey, this isn't, this isn't okay with me, how we're talking to each other right now, or that I wasn't included in this decision or whatever it may be, you know, um, we have to bring those things to each other. Uh, we have to tell a person when, uh, the relationship that we're in isn't measuring up to the relationship that we want while being realistic, of course, like we're, it's in our nature to always want more, like I said, but I think a lot of people, they just hold back. They don't speak their truth about what they want because they're afraid they're going to lose love. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the main thing is like, be courageous and, and talk about what you want and, and show a person, Hey, th like, this is what I want. You know, like this stuff's out there now, like your podcast is out there now. My show's there. I've got my, uh, I've got my podcast. I've got my Instagram. I've got the conscious relationship council, which is like a men's program. That's 12 weeks long where we take guys through and we teach them the tools of relationship. And we, we also get them digging into their own ghost figures and looking at their own mm. shadow. Right. And so showing men like, Hey, this is out there. And like, you know, you put $10,000 into, uh, this course that was going to like increase sales last year. And it might be worth putting a thousand dollars into mm -hmm. your relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah. Th those conversations need to be had. And those, again, thank you to the women who do that. Is it, I also want to say it's on men to step up. Like, it is not a woman's responsibility to get a man to do men's work. I think I just, I advocate for women to speak to what they want and then let go and then mm -hmm. go do your own work. <laughs> go yeah. change yourself embody. Embody. join a women's group go embody the change that you want to be and you will change and he will feel that and at some point he will he will realize like 
oh, I got to like step up or I'm going to lose her because she's going yeah. somewhere. And that mm -hmm. is what I was feeling when I met my partner. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. Well, she, and she was like, hey, I'm going to take this conscious relationship training. I know we're only two months into our relationship, but like I really respect the teacher and I want to learn. So I'm going to go do this. Do you want to come do it with me? That's all oh, she yeah. said. And then I was like, this is going to go deep. And if she goes <laughs> there and then goes deep and I'm not there, she might meet some guy who's deeper than me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So like, I was like, I better go just to like, at the very least, like hang on to this relationship. And I'm interested. I don't, I don't like that. She's the one taking the initiative here. I'd like to be the one taking the initiative, <laughs> but I'm backed into a corner here. So I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it too, <laughs> like you don't know what you don't know, right? Like sometimes we yeah. don't, we're not even a, speaking directly to men and of course women as well. But in this conversation of a woman trying to enroll her partner, Sometimes I think the man, we're so in these ruts of relationship, they're not even aware of how fucking amazing it can be. Yeah. How you can be lit up by your relationship, how every part of your life gets better when you invest into the the jewels that are there just waiting to be uncovered between the two of you. I think you just yeah. don't know what you don't know. And when you look at your, you know, buddies on Saturday when you're watching football or whatever, and it's like, well, that seems pretty normal. Look how they're, you know, like this is normal. This yeah. this way of relating is normal. And I think that sometimes that exposure to another man like yourself or like Chase or John Wineland, where it's like, oh, that kind of man and that kind of relationship, that kind of dynamic exists. They look mm. really happy together. And that's still a manly man. That's still an alpha male, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, part of it is just being aware that it exists and that anyone can tap into it. Yeah. We have a wild ability to numb. Yeah. Just a, just a wild ability to numb um, in addition to having resources to numb with. Uh, and then, and then we can get lost in our own idea of purpose and attach ourselves to the outcome such that we've convinced ourselves that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. This is my purpose. This is my vision. And in the same way that we would hunt for the outcome of the kill and numb to the surroundings of thorns and, and cold, uh, because we're so attached to whatever that purpose or that outcome is, we, we lose out on the ability to pick up on the senses and the feedback that we're getting from mm -hmm. people that we care about. Yeah. And at least I, that, that's for me. Mm -hmm. So well said. Yeah. 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 I think also, you know, back to the the piece of the the woman or the feminine responsibility. Like what is her responsibility in this? You spoke to it beautifully. Just communicate. Don't we've all made the the, the mistake of thinking that our partner should be able to read our thoughts. Why isn't he reading the relationship books? Why isn't he interested? He must be fine with us going nowhere. And that that could be the case, but it could also very much not be the case. Um, and I think it does, yeah, like you said, start with voicing what you truly desire uh, from a place of love, not from a place of criticism and pointing the finger and making judgments about your partner, but like what do you want to experience? What are you interested in? Oh my God, I would love to go to this relationship workshop with John Wineland. I would love for, for us to go together. And what it would provide for me is blank. Like mm -hmm. let your partner in on the why behind it as well. And what it, especially if you're speaking to a masculine, like 
what would this thing, this event or this program or this book or whatever, what would it provide for you? And I think that, um, I think that that can be helpful too for, for women, you know, looking to enroll. Yeah. And the last point I would add is that I think men assume they, they, they give the responsibility of the relationship and the relational things over to their feminine partner. And feminine beings are more relational by nature and they're more concerned with relationship. And so we tend to offload any leadership in the relational field to our feminine partners. And I really love what John says about this because he's like, the masculine, if you're the masculine representative in the relationship, you are more responsible for holding the order in the chaos and creating the structure in your relationship. But here you are handing it off to the feminine representative and they, they actually don't want it. They're just holding it because if they don't hold it, the relationship will fall apart. And so dudes, <laughs> it's time to wake up and see that you are responsible for many of the structures, for all of the structure in the relationship. And so if something's happening that both of you are not happy with, or one of you isn't happy with, I challenge you to accept responsibility for why that's happening. And it may be because you implemented a structure that's not working, or oftentimes you did not, you failed to implement or failed to communicate or failed to set up something that would have created that for you. And so step into the driver's seat, guys, and schedule the date nights. Don't put it on her. Schedule the personal growth. Don't put it on her. Read some fucking books about relationships, not just nonfiction, scientific stuff or stuff about business or fiction. You know, like step into the driver's seat in your relationship. That doesn't mean that you have to do everything, but like in terms of providing the structures and creating space for conversations to happen, if you're the masculine representative, that's your job mm -hmm. to create the structure. And like, I didn't get that. I didn't get that until John said it really. And lo and behold, my partner has relaxed more as I've mm. leaned yeah. into that more. And I think it's totally okay because the feminine is so in touch with uh, their senses to pick up on when the structure needs support, fixing, evolution. And so yeah. for the feminine to bring it to the masculine saying, hey, I'm sensing something with my yeah. feminine capabilities should be not threatening, but wow. Yeah, totally. I understand that that's yeah. something that you have the ability to pick up on likely before I do. Yeah. Let's look into this. Let's, let's figure out what the architecture needs to look like. Yeah. Um, before we let you go and you, you mentioned it book list, masculine book list, uh, where do people start? And then, and then men's work one one uh, There are some guys who I hope, uh, we've lit a fire under, uh, including myself, um, where do we start from a men's work perspective and what, what's your, your collection of biblical masculine works? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, book list. I will start with two new releases because I think they're really good. And, and like, Hey, you want to start at the state of the art? Go yeah, here. Yeah. You know, and then, then maybe go back into history and see where like the origins of this came from. Uh, Connor Beaton's releasing a book this month in January. So maybe when this episode's out, 
It's called Men's Work. Check out Connor's book. Uh, Connor's been into this about the same amount of time as me, but he's studied with a lot of great teachers, including John. Um, John's book, From the Core, solid. So solid. Uh, Mm -hmm. And if you want to go all the way back, go back to the 90s. Two books, The Way of the Superior Man by David Data and King Warrior Magician Lover Mm. by Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette. And if I could add uh, two more books, I would say uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy by Robert Glover. He came on my show. Robert's got so much experience and is so solid. Uh, And The Way of the Conscious Warrior by Mm. my teacher, uh, P.T. Mistelberger. Cool. Mm. Haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check that one out. That's the yeah. one I haven't read. So. Yeah, it's awesome. like you know, it didn't it didn't like bubble up the way that some of these other ones are, but it's it's good. It's good. Uh, and there's there's a lot in there around like studying um, ancient warrior groups and mm. f- drawing from the qualities that 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 they had because none were perfect. Of course, they all have their like dark side. But men's work one hundred and one. I have a men's course a video men's course uh, called the integrated man that guys can take. Um, my brotherhood is called the Arca brotherhood, a R K a uh, I'm a director. It's not, I wouldn't call it, I call it my brotherhood cause it's like in my heart, but I, I'm supporting director. Check out the Arca brotherhood. We've got online groups and in-person events, some of which I run. And other than that, like find a men's group in your area. You know, the, the online groups are great. We created the online side to get men forming groups in their own city in person. And we have done that. And so we've got some groups speckled around North America. If, you, if there's a men's group in your town, like go check them out. And if it doesn't resonate, find another one, join ARCA or, or join Connor's, the Alliance. He's got the Alliance. Um, there's sacred sons more on the West coast. And there's every man more on the East coast, but like get into a men's group. Um, and that's where you'll learn. And if you want to be a leader, I get guys come to me sometimes like, Hey, I want to lead a men's group. And, um, how do I do that? Like, can you point me in a direction? I'm like, join one, join a men's group and emerge as a leader. And the rest will become clear. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Uh, thank you so much for the work you're doing, man. Um, yeah. Guys, if you haven't checked out uh, the Evolving Man podcast, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I just feasted upon it this summer when I found it. Um, you're, you're such a beautiful marriage between kind of the John Wineland, David Data world. Uh, you know, you've got one foot in that. You can you can speak to it and appreciate it while also having a super practical, rational approach, maybe like the Dr. Glover approach. And it's it's really refreshing. You know, there's there's uh, it's it's easy to get confused in this space a lot of times. Um, and I just appreciate how uh, not neutral, but, but balanced and stable you are in this space. And it's, it's, you keep one foot on the ground all while having an appreciation and a reverence for that, which is metaphysical. And so, Mm. uh, so much gratitude to you, my man. And, uh, hope this is just the beginning of a, of a fruitful podcasting relationship. Thanks folks. Yeah. really appreciated this conversation with you, Chase and Mimi and, and nice to get to know you too. And, and to dig in and, and, get some heads, um, heads turning and hopefully inspire some work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on, uh, the, the love sesh. Um, I just, as a feminine, and I know there are a lot of feminine listening probably who 
have maybe lost hope or been really discouraged about the dating world, about men in general. And, um, you know, hearing someone like you speak, obviously I, I, I live with uh, a man who is, I think, very integrated, but um, you're, you're providing hope for the feminine too, not just men, um, because it's men like you, men like Chase, men like John Wineland, where the female or the feminine women hear that this type of man exists, that it's possible. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, you get reinvigorated with hope for what, whatever your situation is, you know, dating or marriage or kids or whatever, like you're just, you're, you're inspiring. And, um, I think injecting hope into a lot of people, including women. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mimi. And, and I have to say like, as a guy who's, got this podcast and I'm sharing stuff on social media, I get a, well, first of all, like 70% of my followers are women mm -hmm. that speaks to like where the eyes are, you know, who, who's, who's keeping an eye on this stuff. But I get a lot of this type of feedback, like what you just said. And it, it's, it's giving me exactly what I was asking for on the billboard. Right. It just mm -hmm. like makes me want to do it more like, Oh, okay, great. Oh yeah. Thank you. Head in the right direction. Okay. I'm going to keep yeah. going, you yeah. know? So I also just really appreciate the love and the feedback from from the feminine beings out there who are like, "Hey, thank you for the for the inspiration and for helping men." Because I, I, every little bit of feedback feels great and and gives me more energy to give back. So mm -hmm. I'll just keep paying it forward. Thank you. Yeah. Mimi. It's impossible for us as podcasters or anyone with any sort of platform of influence to any degree, and they're using it for good and for hope and encouragement. It's impossible for us to ever be fully aware of the ripple of uh, influence. And I think if we were aware of the entire like ripple, we it would be overwhelming, you know, mm -hmm. to see how many lives are impacted by these types of conversations. Yeah. And uh, we just get, you know, little bits and maybe 1% of, and uh, I think that it's, um, but th that 1% is, is enough to, to keep us diving into the work ourselves. And then, you know, inviting people like you on to, to share their wisdom with our listeners. So yeah, very much mm -hmm. appreciate it. I'll, I'll stop the love sesh there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we keep paying it forward and yeah. inspire the next generation of, podcasters yeah. and, and healers, you know, like yeah. Joe Rogan 10 years ago and Aubrey Marcus, like some of these guys that I was listening to early on in the, in the podcast space, Tim Ferriss changed my life yep. here, having, having those voices in my, in my head and, and Same. listening to their positivity and where they were shooting and seeing their impact on my life. I was like, Oh wow. Like if I could and then I started having like inspiring conversations with other people. And I was like, Hey, if this was recorded, you know, yeah. How, yeah. how many yeah. people could benefit. And so you yeah. just go, just go. And, uh, it pays off, man. It pays off. Cause I, yeah. Yeah. I agree Podcasting with you. Save Thanks. lives. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the last question that we ask every guest on the medicine, you know, we're all about acquiring the tools and inviting, you know, leaning into the different medicines for our life, mm -hmm. for our, mm -hmm. for our health, for our relationships, for our spirituality. And we would love to hear from you. What currently feels like medicine right now for you? Yeah, it's funny. I wanted to come on this show and start by talking with you guys about the difference between medication and medicine. Mm. because those are very different things. And I think yep. a lot of us medicate our wounds 
we medicate what's going on for us and we it's just a way of getting by uh, and medicine is is healing right and for me yeah if i could just encompass like all of my medicine it would really be that it has to do with connection to nature connection to self and connection to other people mm. and so you know time in nature fire men's circles um singing and dancing with friends eye gazing with my partner um all of these things those are all the medicine for me and then you know i've got like extra boosters that i throw on top there's like the odd psychedelic or there's a sauna and a cold dip or an extreme thing that i do um but really it's the medicine is connection and so um if you're feeling like like you could use some medicine go find some connection either to yourself mm. or to other people or to nature um the best answer i've got perfect. yeah it's Beautiful. perfect great way to end thank you again um we have enjoyed this so much and thank you to our listeners thanks for hanging with us today check the show notes for all the links all the things that uh, that ben talked about we will have it there for you and um if this episode touched you in any way if it lit anything up inside of you um send it to someone that you love send it to someone that you care about um you have no idea who is desperate for this type of information um so help us pay it forward and uh start to create the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible all right go spread some light we'll talk soon bye Hey friend, thanks for listening. Did you hear anything today that expanded your mind, made you laugh, touched your soul, or caused you to think differently about this topic? I hope so. I invite you to share this episode with someone you love. It takes 30 seconds and has the potential for a great ripple effect. Our world needs more people having real, honest, and open-minded dialogue on big topics. And you never know, you may just change their entire day. We love you and appreciate you being here with us. Cheers.